Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Last month, it was revealed that several New York galleries had received subpoenas from Manhattan's district attorney's office. The district attorney wanted to see sales and shipping records for the galleries. With that in mind, we contacted Victor J. Rocco, Herrick Feinstein's chief of their white-collar defense and investigations practice. He, along with Frank Lord, a partner in the art law practice, sat down to talk to me about what galleries should do if they receive one of these subpoenas. So, Vic, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about um, where things stand with the investigations that we know about or have at least heard about in the press involving art galleries? Um, Quite frankly, I really don't know where those investigations stand. Um, um, I understand that subpoenas were issued to galleries, and I would assume that in the ordinary course of events, the galleries that were served with the subpoenas are now dealing with the process of subpoena compliance. And subpoenas, investigations, oftentimes are initiated by um, subpoenas. Sometimes they're initiated by arrests. Sometimes they're initiated by um, search warrants. Uh, in, the, in the instance of an investigation that starts with a subpoena, the party or here a gallery that served with a subpoena has an issue of complying with the subpoena. And that raises questions for the subpoenaed party. Um, these are grand jury subpoenas. Uh, which are typically issued on under the authority of the grand jury by a prosecutor. They call for the production of documents. Sometimes subpoenas are issued to witnesses, but typically prosecutors or investigators want to get um, documents in hand so they know what's going on, and they analyze the documents. Sometimes there's a group of forensic accountants who help the prosecutors sort through the documentation. That usually leads to witness subpoenas or um, sometimes arrests or sometimes requests for interviews. And the interviews that, that, can, that can come with these um, um, are nettlesome. I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a question that um, if a person is approached by law enforcement um, um, in connection with one of these investigations, Law enforcement doesn't have to announce itself. There's not a formal invitation. It could happen as simply as a uh, 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 an investigator showing up at someone's house, usually after business hours, for an impromptu conversation. The person's taken by surprise. Um, uh, invariably, they're asked questions about um, about their business dealings. And a question that somebody might have who has, hears their doorbell ring and somebody announces themselves, shows the person um, um, the credentials and asks if they have a couple of minutes to speak, first thing a person might say is, well, should I be speaking to this person? And I advise clients uh, not to. Um, I advise clients never to. Um, um, uh, it's interesting um, because sometimes people are afraid that by not speaking to, uh, to a law enforcement authority who shows up at your house that you're communicating to them uh, the fact that you don't want to speak to them or you have something to fear. And the truth of the matter is 
that's that's irrelevant. And in fact, it's not at all what it means. What it means is that you are cautious, that you understand that these are answering questions are very important. It's going to answer questions. You have to answer questions truthfully. You want to be careful in how you answer questions. And you really need the advice of counsel and the help of counsel in answering questions. So um, as I advise clients, um, um, and I say to them, if you were my mother, I would suggest to you that you not talk to law enforcement. It's ultimately the client's decision. But under the best circumstances, the best conversation that you can have with law enforcement, if you decide to have a conversation, is one that's counseled and one that occurs in the presence of your lawyer. So you're saying to, uh, if the, you're subpoenaed as a uh, gallery owner to, and someone c comes to you and asks to interview you, to tell them that you'll speak to them with counsel, not to not speak to them at all. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is uh, a couple of things. Let me, let me unpack that. Please. Okay. Subpoenas, um, subpoenas don't necessarily accompany a request for an interview. The request for an interview, actually, uh, somebody from law enforcement, a detective, an investigator, can show up, request an interview, and at the end, at the end of the interview, in fact, commonly what happens is there's a request for an interview. Um, um, the interview occurs or doesn't occur. The investigator serves the subpoena on the person at, at that point. Now, sometimes the investigator can come to a business in the same scenario, right? It doesn't have to be after hours. It doesn't have to be at someone's home. But um, uh, I, business people shouldn't think that if an investigator has questions, that the investigator is going to come to the business during business hours. Um, it's more, much more likely or as likely that the investigator will show up after hours at someone's home and start asking questions. Um, what I'm saying is that investigations can start a number of ways and, and, and the first indication might be an impromptu visit and the first indication of the investigation might be a subpoena. Um, um, uh, if a subpoena is served, um, oftentimes um, the subpoena just issues and the investigator will follow, a request for an interview will follow after the, the investigators and prosecutors have gone through the documents that have been subpoenaed and produced in response to the subpoena. Um, these are not subpoenas, this is a bit of a segue, right? Um, but subpoenas are not, it's not smart to deal with a subpoena by yourself without the benefit of counsel because there are all sorts of questions that arise in connection with subpoena compliance. Certainly, if you're served with a subpoena, any business that's served with a subpoena has to make sure that records are protected, that nobody does anything to destroy records because this is a situation, often that can result in a situation where where the the cure is worse than the disease. I mean, you just take a problem and exacerbate it by engaging in some doing something foolish or something that's uncounseled. So, if a, if an investigation starts with a subpoena, my advice to clients is: if you hear from an investigator and you're served with a subpoena, contact a lawyer and talk to the lawyer about what your steps need to be for complying with the subpoena because subpoena compliance is very important. You want, to, you want to respond to the subpoena in a completely lawful way and you want to make sure that everyone knows and any, any cognizant authority knows that you have, you have complied with the subpoena in a lawful way.
So, so if I'm a gallerist and I've uh, received a subpoena and I've called you, my lawyer, what's the next step in the process? First step would be, I'd say, depending on the size of the gallery, if it's a small gallery, I would say to the person, look, we're going to have to pull together, get me the subpoena, let's go through the subpoena together, let's see what, oftentimes the subpoenas are drafted in a very vague way. They call for judgments that need to be made by the by the gallerist, right? That um, should not be made, as I said earlier, by the gallerist alone, but needs the, the, the subpoena may need interpretation or the help of a, the benefit of, of, of a lawyer's advice and compliance. Sometimes the subpoenas are so broad that you can't, you can't collect the documents immediately. There's gotta be some negotiation to clarify between, between the gallerist's counsel and the, the prosecuting authority who's issued the subpoena uh, to uh, to narrow down narrow the scope of the subpoena or to to come up with um, a, a schedule for complying with the subpoena in a lawful way so you might do it in stages um, um, in stage production of the documents sometimes there are ambiguities in the subpoena that need to be addressed and need to be addressed early the first thing that a gallery should do is if he has or she has the benefit of counsel is to identify what the documents are that are responsive, and perhaps even more importantly than that, to make sure that no one tampers with documents, to make sure that documents are protected. I tell owners um, if they have a uh, they have a, a robust enough accounting staff that the owner should be completely out of the process of complying with the subpoena, that that should be left to the in the hands of a loyal um, and knowledgeable employee. And is that because you want the process to be as protected from any uh, meddling, or you just want the person who should know best to be involved in complying? It's actually people? both. It's, it's actually both. And usually the chief financial officer or your chief accounting officer knows documents better than the, than, than, than the ultimate owner of the business. And secondly, you want the process of record production to be kept pristine. And if there are any problems... And there, there might be problems with documents that are missing, documents that are inaccurate, uh, God forbid. No one should have inaccurate documents. But if there's that problem, you don't want the gallerists, in effect, um, 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 implicated um, um, in suspected wrongdoing, even if there is no wrongdoing. So I say to the gallerists, step aside. Let's hand. Let's have somebody. Let's have somebody who's knowledgeable. Your records do this and then do it in a in a in a very cohesive, coherent, um, um, a, a documented, well documented way. There are situations where I have gone out and retained independent consultants to come in and help with the production of the records, so that it's the consultant who is doing the record production, not the gallerist. And. I know this is going to involve a little bit of speculation on your part since we don't know what these subpoenas are, but in general, is this a, is this a tax issue that the prosecutors are looking for, or is it something else that they're trying to find? You know, it's, um, it's rarely not a tax issue. It's not an esoteric tax issue. It's really more a question of um, um, suspected fraud. Um, um, in there can be um, there can be um, ancillary tax questions. Um, there might be contested facts, and um, um, but 
quite frankly, tax compliance or understanding the tax code, the, the tax code isn't particularly important in these situations. But I never, but never is not a good answer, right? I've been involved in situations where there are ancillary tax issues, and sometimes the tax issues, uh, and certainly tax counsel is required, and certainly these are very nettlesome tax uh, tax issues. I've been involved in some enforcement um, issues where tax counsel takes over, and what looked like a criminal investigation. Um, turns into basically a question of pure tax and tax compliance. There are, that is typically not the case when the request comes um, by way of grand jury subpoenas. They're beyond, the matter is now beyond the regulatory stage or the tax enforcement stage, and prosecutors are looking at, um, have developed at least some evidence of criminality into essentially what is a fraud scheme. Uh, and is there room here where there are um, things that the prosecutors will be looking at that may look like fraud, but might, because of the complexities of the way art is shipped and, and moved around, uh, is more sort of standard practice? I mean, uh, I would suspect, since this happens periodically in the art wor world, and people are often asked to send works to um, homes in states that don't require tax being paid and so forth, that, that some of this may be a, a bit of, you know, sorting out the confusion of the overlapping... It, 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 indeed. I mean, I, um, actually, that might be a better question for Frank. Um, but the truth of the matter is sales tax, for instance, is due when the sales occur, or when a sale occurs. And the question sometimes is, has a sale occurred? Um, um, prosecutors usually, as I say, that hurdle is behind a prosecutor. Right? The prosecutor has, in, in his or her mind, come to the conclusion that a, uh, that a, that a sale has occurred and that there has been some... Um, sham transaction. For instance, um, um, the piece of art is sold in New York um, um, and an empty crate is shipped to New Jersey. Um, that's, if that's happened, that's a pretty good example of fraud, um, um, uh, or at least pretty compelling evidence of fraud. Does it prove a fraud case? Not necessarily, and fraud cases aren't easy cases to prove. And prosecutors to their credit, are very careful. I mean, I, they, they, they don't arrest people, they don't charge people, unless or until they're convinced, in fact, their ethical obligation is to be convinced to a moral certainty that a crime has been committed. Um, that's even before you go to a grand jury and ask a grand jury to return an indictment, which need only be based on probable cause. The prosecutor really has to believe that he or she can prove a case ultimately beyond a reasonable doubt to the satisfaction of the jury before a case is indicted. So can a gallery feel that if they've received a subpoena, it may simply be uh, a good part of going through that process, trying to search out where how big a problem this is and whether it's a problem that needs to, to uh, be pursued? Absolutely. And in some instances, Believe it or not, um, though you don't want to be caught up in, in, in this, um, a gallery may be subpoenaed just so a prosecutor can have an idea of the right way to do things. 
Um, so it does not necessarily, uh, as they say, it's not over until a fat lady sings. Getting a subpoena doesn't necessarily uh, mean that anybody has done anything wrong. But the fact that you've done nothing wrong, let's go back to the original question, doesn't mean that you don't need counsel. And this might sound like an advertisement for, for lawyers, but it's not. The criminal process is really a world unto itself. And um, um, if anybody is involved in it in any manner, shape, or form, no matter how innocent a person may be or how innocent a person may feel, the person, it's a dollar well spent in getting counsel early and keeping counsel advised. Uh, this may be a question for you, Frank, but is there, are there practices that if, even if a gallery doesn't receive a subpoena, that in this kind of climate one might want to look at and make sure they're either getting an opinion on how to do it the right way or following uh, uh, it, it closely? I mean, if there's a gray area he here, one might sort of save themselves a lot of trouble getting ahead of uh, uh, facing up to this. Let me start by answering your question, and Frank has something to add, and Ken. Um, since the early 1990s, there's something called the federal, actually it goes back to the 1980s, there's something called the federal sentencing guidelines. And there are federal sentencing guidelines that apply to um, entities or organizations, and they trace back to the 1990s. And there is other federal legislation today that basically um, 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 uh, it encourages, in some instances it might mandate, but the sentencing guidelines for one encourage people to have in place compliance policies and compliance programs. And what they mean by that is compliance with the law. Um, and the law is in many different ways. Gallerists, um, uh, auction houses, art dealers um, 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 can deal in large financial transactions and why, while they're not covered by the same uh, yet, and my, my prediction is that ultimately they will be covered by the same regulations that apply to financial institutions like banks, insurance companies and the like, brokerage houses. Um, um, why not get ahead of the curve and put in place rigorous compliance programs? And so, in immediate response to your answer, I think anybody who's in the business of selling art would be well advised to make sure that they have systems in place that will protect them against not only um, things like sales tax evasion, but the possibilities of money laundering. Uh, buying, selling a piece of art and it being paid for by someone who, um, uh, uh, by the fruits of a crime or the, that the money is derived from some criminal activity, could implicate a, um, a gallerist in, um, uh, in a money laundering, laundering transaction. And quite frankly, there are situations where innocent third parties come into possession of goods that are subject uh, goods, um, monies that are subject to forfeiture by the United States um, and by the state, but more, more, more likely the United States. And quite frankly, you don't want to find yourself in the situation where you are dealing, trying to fend off a forfeiture proceeding or try to defend a uh, forfeiture proceeding because the burden. And forfeiture basically shifts to the person who is in possession of the stolen property um, 
or stolen goods or laundered property or laundered goods. No, that the the KYC the lack of KYC programs, I should put probably put put it, especially one presumes that smaller galleries that don't necessarily have the staff. We know that that uh, the large auction houses have compliance departments. They're aware of the, this. They're they're relatively easy to regulate just because they're visible to the authorities. But there's a great deal of money moving through uh, some smaller, medium-sized uh, galleries that may eventually uh, bring them into contact with the authorities without necessarily having these kinds of programs in place. And I, I think they're, they're probably, it's not something you should try and do yourself. No, and there are, um, there are um, compliance firms, there are compliance programs, um, there are lawyers who deal with compliance and advise clients on compliance. And I think that those, whatever, whatever professional help you can get in helping in setting something up um, um, to protect yourself, I think is um, a worthwhile investment. It's um, today I tell clients that it's really the cost of doing business. That um, it's something that you have to factor in, especially if you're involved in in large uh, financial transactions. Um, um, the premium is on transparency, and if and if you're going to engage in a transaction that you wouldn't that that you wouldn't engage in in the middle of Times Square or in front of your mother. Um, um, you better not do it. No, I think that was the big revelation from the New York Times series on, on the real estate uh, shell companies, uh, is that there are, are, are uh, outer rings to all of this that um, people have uh, learned to, uh, I don't want to use the term exploit, but function well, well in, and they're now coming uh, to light. And if the real estate tra transactions through uh, LLCs is one portion of it. The art world also uses some of the similar uh, containers, as it were, to, to do transactions. It's astounding that people think that they are the architects of something new because there is nothing new under the sun. Um, um, good investigators, have, trust me, have seen it before and know just where to go and know just how to develop, uh, develop their cases. So if you think that you're going to be able to patent um, um, your idea, um, if it's illegal, um, you're going to be very surprised because there's somebody who beat you to the punch and educating the process when, when the person was discovered wound up educating investigators and prosecutors on how it can be done, and they know it. Thank you so much. This has Again. been terribly informative. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 